Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Oh, my goodness. There's a lot going on here. I've got a new microphone and I did it. I've got it with the hope and the aim that the quality will be better but so far that's not working. So normally when I record, I've got this microphone and I have pillows and a duvet next to it. Now I've got like these isolation things, which look like someone's got, I don't know, some padding and gone crazy with the scissors. That's all I can think of. Um, So if this doesn't work, if this episode isn't as good quality, I apologise. And next week it'll be different again. We'll be back to the pillows and duvet. Although it'd be very nice not to have to do that. Um, Now, we're sitting here. I haven't had my coffee yet. I haven't even had a, a drink of pirate's blood. Have you? I don't know if this is just a thing with my family. But from being young, there would always be this option. You could have orange squash or Ribena or pirate's blood. And pirate's blood is basically we're running out of the squash. There's not enough to make a a cup of one squash. So we'll mix them together. And and there you go. Pirate's blood. When the kids, friends would come round and what do you want to drink? Do you want a glass of pirate's blood? They would look at me quite strangely. So I do think actually this is just me and my family having this unique drink. But please let me know. Always keen to hear your thoughts. Number one, question number one, have you heard of Pirate's Blood before? And question number two, is that something you make frequently? Because we still do in the house. I made it for someone recently and they looked at me as if I'd gone completely mad. But there we go. Never mind. That's me. We've got microphones. We've got Pirate's Blood cups of squash. It's all it's all, it's all happening here. But what we also have are some great books. And at the end of this podcast, we're going to have Christmas previews. So a few of you have uh, contacted me saying that you'd love to know what Christmas books I'm going to be reviewing. And could I let you know earlier on than just in December so that you've got a chance to get hold of the books, order them from the library, whatever. Um, I haven't got them all yet, but I've got enough to tell you about them. So I think we'll I think we'll do that. But let me first of all tell you on the books. We've got five books. I'm just moving them now. So we've got Midnight in Everwood by M.A. Kuznia. We've got Wish You Were Here by Jodie Pico. We've got Hard Time by Jodie Taylor, a few Jodies. Blame My Brain by Nicola Morgan and Silverview by John Le Carre. 
So, as I say, quite a selection. You can count on me. So the first one, Midnight in Everwood. There's a lot of hype about this book. There's a lot of hype because it's got a beautiful colour, colour cover even. And let me read you the blurb. Nottingham, 1906. Marietta Stell longs to be a ballerina, but as Christmas draws nearer, her dancing days are numbered. As the wishes of her family, she will be obligated to marry and take up her place in society in the new year. But when Dr Drosselmeyer, a mysterious new neighbour, purchases a neighbouring townhouse, it heralds the arrival of magic and wonder in her life. Although Drosselmeyer's magic is darker than Marietta could have imagined. When he constructs an elaborate set for her final ballet performance, she discovers it carries a magic all of its own. As the clock chimes midnight, Marietta finds herself walking through a land of snow-topped fir trees leading to a frozen sugar palace, silent with secrets. In the darkness of night, magic awaits and you will never forget what you find here. Very good. So let's go on. Um, Act one is actually a quote from the Nutcracker, so I won't read that. I'll go straight to chapter one. And uh, I'm going to read you the first paragraph, actually, which is two sentences. So sit tight. Chapter one, 1906. Marietta Steele's mother always said that nothing good came of a rainy day. However, it was a rainy day when the magic came. And once magic has entered your life, you stay in its glittering clutch forever. So this was quite an escape for me. It's um, it is an adult book. It is a sort of a retelling of the Nutcracker. I say retelling. There are elements of it that you could say, oh, yes, that's from the Nutcracker. But also it's a very different story. If you're if you've had enough of the Nutcracker, don't overlook this book just for that reason. Um, I thought it was really a, a young adult book and by that I don't mean YA I just mean for adults who don't want to read anything too scary it's you're safe um, it's got this intriguing story it's got just sort of embers of Christmas running through it which is always a thumbs up as far as I'm concerned and uh, yeah I just thought it was really interesting so let's talk to M.A. Kushner, Mia Kushner now so M.A. Kushner. Uh, the author of The Wonderful Midnight in Everwood. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, I, can I call you Mia? Is that all right? It's a bit less formal than MA. Oh, no, yeah, right? of course. I prefer to be called Mia. Um, lots of people do call me Maria, but it sounds a bit like my mum when she's cross at me. So I go by Mia. <laughs> oh, so your full name is, full first name is Maria. But... It is, yes. But I haven't been called that since I was about 16. So... Yeah, don't worry. We'll stick with Mia then. That's a good compromise. <laughs> so I, I have to ask, it's an obvious first question, but what, what gave you the idea for this book? Well, I've always really loved Christmas. I've always really loved the ballet. So the Nutcracker just, well, it feels like it was made for me. And with all the books that I read, I'm often drawn to retellings and books with a lot of magic in. So it felt like a very natural choice for me to turn to the Nutcracker when I wanted to write a retelling. Uh, had you been wanting to write it for a while do you think I mean I, I just wonder what made you just think right now you know now is the time do you know I don't actually know but it was so weird because once I did have the thought to do that it felt weird that I hadn't thought of it before like it was always going to happen at some point that I was always going to do it 
Um, it just never occurred to me before, I don't know. Sometimes I sit down and I kind of have a brainstorming session of, right, what new projects can I get excited about for the next few years? What can I explore? What might I want to write? And it was just during one of those where I wrote down retellings and I just immediately thought of The Nutcracker. So are there other titles on that, on the list of potential retellings? There are, but I'm afraid I'm going to keep them secret for now. But I can tell you that my next book for adults is going to be like Swan Lake meets The Great Gatsby. Oh, my goodness. That's too much information for me to process. Swan Lake meets The Great Gatsby. Wow. Oh, I'm going to have to go away and have a think about that one. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what what made this book um, an adult book in your mind? Because obviously your history of writing mid-grade, why was this an adult? Um, Well, actually, fun fact, when I first wrote it, I wrote it as a young adult book, um, but that didn't really go anywhere. So then I rewrote it as a middle grade book. And then it nearly went somewhere, but then it didn't. I just couldn't let the story go. So I ended up rewriting it as an adult book. And doing that, I got to explore the romance a little more. I got to dig deeper into the darker themes of it as well. Yes. So you've rewritten this story three times. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a real book of my heart. It's um, I don't do this with any other book, by the way. But I just there was something about this one where I just couldn't let go of it. So I just wow. wanted to get it out there. <laughs> so if someone says to you now, oh, I've got tickets to the ballet, and it's the Nutcracker. Do you smile or do you just back yourself into a corner saying no I don't want any more Nutcracker. Oh god no I've got I've got <laughs> tickets for the Nutcracker in January I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested in whether you got the this book as a complete picture in your mind all at once or if it it came to you in stages obviously not the Nutcracker story we know that but your take on it did it come in, in one complete picture? I have to say, um, despite writing it three times, this is one of the easiest books I've ever written in terms of how how easily I was able to picture it, how fast I was able to write it, each of the versions. I think it's just because it was a story I was just so passionate about. I really fell in love with it and the characters that I reimagined and the whole world that I kind of built around you know, the Nutcracker law, it was just so special to me. So I really fell in love with it when writing it. And again, and again. <laughs> yeah, and again. When you finally wrote the adult version, which I don't think is too adult, actually. I see what you're saying about the dark, but it's not, uh, you know, if you're a scared reader, you don't need to. No, 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 it's not. It's not like horror or anything. No. no. But when you were writing that final adult version, did it suddenly feel right more right than before did it slip sort of fit into place it did it felt so much more right than the original um young adult version I definitely preferred it I felt like I had more room to really describe the world building and get in under the skin of the characters a lot more and really take my time with things um usually adult books tend to be um higher word counts than young adult books so I had more space to kind of write and you know get in get into the world 
Mm. And and what a world it is. So we've got Marietta and, and she has this quandary, you know, she wants her heart wants wants her to be a ballerina. And unlike me, who would like to be a ballerina, she's actually quite good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got the family and, and the role that a daughter in the house would would have in sort of early 1900s. Did you want to bring a fresh a fresh view on, on that quandary? Um, I think it's a quandary that's been done quite a lot, but it did really, and I was a bit wary about that when I approached it, but it just really, really suited this, the book, it really suited the story. I think it needed to happen to give Marietta that push that eventually sends her into this other world and this other situation. So I think it was a really good kind of starting point for all the tension that comes in with the novel. And then you've got this new neighbour, Drosselmeyer, love that, love that. <laughs> he's he's not very nice. And, uh, <laughs> was that hard to write or was it quite good fun? It was actually quite good fun. I mean, there are some scenes that were a bit uncomfortable to write when he's more overbearing and, well, not very nice. Um, but it was fun to take a kind of darker, creepier look at him. <laughs> So in terms of other stories, apart from The Nutcracker, you've mentioned about this very intriguing book you've got next. So there is quite a list of retellings you you have in play. Yes, I would like to do some more retellings, definitely. Will they all include ballet? Um, I would like... I would like to do <laughs> this is hard without revealing any secrets here. okay <laughs> I would like to do some more with ballet yes but they don't necessarily have to have ballet in them so I'm interested in, in where where and how ballet sits with you in your heart is that uh, have you done ballet or is it something that you wanted to do I've always loved ballet, always wanted to do it. Um, I actually go to adult ballet classes at the moment. Um, I'm not very good though. I keep thinking people expect me to be great because I've written this book, but I'm terrible. I've been in the beginner class for about three years now. <laughs> um, ballet is very hard, but I have a great appreciation for it. And oh, I just love it. It makes, you know, it makes my heart fill. How wonderful. So do you get to do point work as well or is it all? No, not in the, not in the beginner <sighs> class, sadly. <laughs> oh, do you have to move up to the next class to be able to do uh, that? Yeah, and it's quite hard to do as an adult when you're learning. Most people that do point work tend to have started quite early on. Um, it requires like a lot of strength in your ankles and legs that you build up over time. So quite hard to do if you're only going for like one or two hours a week. Yes, I've seen a number of authors start to have ballet lessons by Zoom as well during lockdown. Oh. So there's, yeah, there's obviously a theme get going on there. Now let's talk Christmas. How important is Christmas to you? Very. I love Christmas. I completely turn into a Christmas elf about this time every year. I just, I love everything about it. I love Oh, I love winter as well and snow. And I love, I always tell everyone that Norway is my favourite country I've been to. I just, I love all of it. But in terms of the Nutcracker book, uh, Midnight in Everwood that I wrote, um, I use it more as the backdrop, as the aesthetic of it. So it's not really central to the actual story itself. So I do think that people who don't celebrate Christmas or don't enjoy it, um, they can still enjoy the story. It's not essential to the story. 
Yeah, I would absolutely agree. It, it It's not got Christmas running through it, but if you've got Christmas in your soul, you could read it in yeah. that way if you wanted to. But yeah. the, the timing is quite clever for it coming out. Was that, again, a, a key decision? Uh, yes, I think my publishers decided that um, on purpose. It, um, they made such a beautiful book cover for it as well. It really lends itself to being a Christmas gift. <laughs> yes, let's talk that cover. And I've seen ones with sprayed edges and, and all yeah. sorts. How involved were you in the design of that cover? Well, my editor actually set up a secret Pinterest board between me, her, my agent and the cover designer, Charlotte Phillips. Um, and we kind of brainstormed ideas there on covers we loved. And quite early on, my editor had the idea for kind of paper cut on the um, front. So it looked like a almost like a kind of puppet theatre or something with the way it's cut out and framed. And we started saving lots of images with that. And it just evolved from there, really. And my next question was going to be about whether you'd made any substantial changes when you were writing the book. But if you've already written sort of three quite different versions. Yes. <laughs> the storyline of the um, young adult version and the adult version were quite similar. But the middle grade one was very different because Drosselmeyer was like a kindly grandfatherly figure. And at one point, some of the main characters accidentally wander into a land of chocolate and find themselves turning into chocolate, which was very fun to write. <laughs> oh, that sounds like my sort of book. I did, I did miss that, but I do prefer it overall as an adult book, definitely. So when you get an idea for a book, how do you resolve what age group it should be written as? Well, I like to think that I write adventure books for adventure stories for children and fairy tales for adults. That's kind of like, that's how my author brand's kind of developed. Um, so that makes it quite easy, really, because if I'm looking at um, retelling a fairy tale, I can think, oh, I can look at the maybe darker origins. I can delve beneath the surface a bit more. I can explore it in a more mature way. And then with an adventure, I know I can write really fast paced, fun adventure with, you know, talking animals or shape shifting shadows or whatever in it. And that will be for children. That's really interesting, though, because often adventure books are more adult and fairy tale children. So that's um, intriguing that you've sort of flipped it in, in that way. So your mid-grade books, you've got The Ship of Shadows and Secrets of the Stars. Yeah. Uh, will there be more of those or are you focusing much more on the adult side now? Hopefully there will be more of those at the moment. I can't really speak about it. I know that's really annoying when authors say that, <laughs> but it's true. Um, but I definitely do want to continue writing for both children and adults. I get something very different from both of them, so I couldn't ever give either of them up. So have you been able to do author events for both type of books now have you done any for Midnight in Everwood yes yes and I find it um usually you have kind of a burst of author events around publication and that's when it's the most concentrated so at the moment I'm very much in a Midnight in Everwood frame of mind um usually it's easier to kind of switch between them because you've got less going on yes are they I mean, clearly the book events are different because one's a mid-grade, one's an adult. But apart from that, is there anything else that's different about them? Well, I will say um, 
I've, <laughs> I will say you do get more entertaining questions from the children. <laughs> it is quite lovely. I did a children's book, uh, children's book club online not that long ago when my second children's book came out in the summer. And I got lots of wonderful questions there, like what are your top three favorite birds? And adults just don't ask those kinds of questions. <laughs> No, that's wonderful to have that freedom. Yeah, so that that is lovely. <laughs> so if someone, if you meet somebody now and they ask you what you do, is an author your first thing? Is that who you yes, are? Definitely. Yeah. Yes. So when you write, where, where do you write? Well, I write here in my apartment <laughs> um I actually move around a lot when I write so sometimes I'm sitting on the sofa sometimes I'm kind of sprawled out on my bed sometimes I write lying on the floor actually quite often I tend to circulate between the places in my apartment <laughs> and does where you write affect what you write I don't think so because I'm writing it all from my apartment um, so it's for me, it's more about being able to reach easily into my imagination. So I am an author that needs a lot of peace and quiet when I'm writing. Um, I can't write with other people around or with lots of noise or anything like that. So I've tried writing in a cafe, but it just unfortunately it it didn't work for me. I try every now and then. I'm lured there by the promise of cake, but um, <laughs> I never end up getting more than like a page or two done. So it's not very efficient for me. <laughs> But you've had cake, so I guess that's, yeah, exactly. that's, that's not too bad. So you talk about your imagination and how you have to sort of step into that Im imaginary world in, in your mind. Is that something that you've been able to do from being a child? Is is that a, a gift? That oh, you've yes. Had? I've always been very, very imaginative. Um, in fact, when I was much younger, when I was a child, I actually had two imaginary friends. Um <laughs> Two. Yes. <laughs> they were called Gigi and Mole. <laughs> and did they ever fall out with each other? Not that I can remember. No. <laughs> and, and what sort of books were you interested in then? Can you remember? Oh, I've always loved books that have a bit of magic in them or a big adventure. I love that now as an adult I've always loved that I'm always more drawn to fantasy and magical adventures and fairy tales so how much plotting do these books involve I do quite a bit of plotting um but I also leave myself a bit of room to kind of explore what could happen um often when I'm drafting a book I get new ideas along the way or sometimes a character will do something that surprises me. Um, I'm not quite sure how that happens, but it does. So I like to think of my writing as a journey. You know, I know the setting off point, I know the destination, and I know the stops I want to make along the way, but there's room to kind of take this road or that road or stop off here to have a look at this thing. Uh, so how many sort of thousand words is your plotting? Is Because some people do, I don't know, the minimum 300 words that they have to do for their editor. Some will do 30,000 words because that's just their approach. And a lot of people are sort of in between that. Whereabouts do you think? Oh, I'm, I'm the leaner end. I do tend to write kind of skinny first drafts and then build them up 
as I redraft. So my first draft of Midnight in Everwood was only 25,000 words. <laughs> wow. I know, I know it had lots of big gaps in it and chapters missing. And then my second book, I kind of filled my second draft. Sorry, I filled it out more. It went up to 50,000 words. And then it went up to 75. And then I think it hit 100 originally before I edited it back down a little bit. That's so interesting because there are many writers who their first draft is just a sort of a splurge of words yeah. and too many. Yes. And so yet you're the opposite problem. <laughs> wow. So you're just in a way that's then an extended plot in that you're you're getting the bones and then you build the flesh on as you. It's more like um, I'm writing the story, but when there are bits that I feel I don't know enough about yet. I'll leave a gap and I'll resort to bullet pointing it. So for example, if there's a chapter where I don't feel like I've got to grips with my characters enough to write it, or I'm a little bit unsure of the plot and I need to rework it a little bit, I will bullet point what needs to happen in that chapter and then move on. I do the same if I get stuck on something instead of wait, wasting you know, hours on just a page, I'll, I'll leave it and come back to it with instructions what to write when I do come back to it. <sighs> Interesting. That's quite a different approach, and clearly it, it, it works. <laughs> I know it can be really confusing to describe sometimes. <laughs> no, I love it. I love the fact that every author is slightly different. You yeah, know, that's what makes it interesting. So, what is your favorite part of the writing process then? Oh, I love any part of the writing process where the words are just coming to me, when the words are just flowing and, you know, they're popping into your head faster than you can get them down and it feels almost like you're channeling something. That, that, that feeling is just magical. That's what I like. It doesn't matter what stage it happens at. That's what I like best. But the writing rather than maybe doing copy edits or something would, would be... I don't think anyone will really find copy edits. <laughs> You'd be amazed. You would be amazed. Oh, but Yes, it's I've I've had that said that that's one of their favorite really? parts. Oh, yeah, surprise me. Yeah, so it does it does vary. Um, how important is it as a writer to? It's almost a pressure to get the reader hooked straight away because there's so many books available, you know, and people might pick one up and put it down. Is is there a pressure on you? Uh, there definitely is. Um, you know, people are looking in a bookshop, they might read the first page before they decide whether to buy it or not. Um, when you send your book to your agent or your editor, that's the first thing they read. That's the first taste of the story they get. So you want to make sure it's the best kind of mouthful of your book they can get. <laughs> yeah, so there is that that pressure there. Um, and is there equally a pressure to keep the sort of the pace and the momentum going or is that just something that comes from your storytelling um the most pressure for that is actually when writing for children because that needs to be very fast paced very interesting the whole way through um older readers and adults will have a little more patience really if you're kind of investing in a storyline or building something up they'll wait and see where it goes but if a child's not interested in what they're reading they will put the book down and go and do something else so you really have to hold their attention the whole way through <laughs> yes and for them to then want the next book as well as well yes, I yes so before I let you go can I ask your publishing story you know how did you get first published well um this is a tip I like to tell 
you know, when people asked me, the way I found my agent was I looked in the acknowledgements of books that were similar to mine. And I wrote The Ship of Shadows before I wrote Midnight in Everwoods. So my children's books came first. And I looked in the acknowledgements for the Polar Bear Explorers Club by Alex Bell. And I found my current agent's name. So I queried her and she signed me on. And yeah, we're very happy together. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. N- know, know your tactics and yes. know who you want. You, you hooked her. You went out to get her and you hooked her, which is fantastic. So... <laughs> You're busy writing still this next book, this Swan Lake, Great Gatsby. Yes, I'm working on the structural edits for it at the moment. So it's it's very nearly done, um, but it's still not quite done yet. <laughs> and do you know when that might hit the world? Have you got a date for that yet? Um, I don't have a concrete date for it yet, no, but I will be announcing it on my social media as soon as I can. So, Well, we shall wait to see. Mia Kushnia, author of Midnight in Everwood. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, that was very interesting, wasn't it? And from one interesting to another interesting, this book, Wish You Were Here by Jodie Pico. This, wow, this book blew me away. Uh, I'm not going to forget this book in a hurry. It's, um, it's extraordinary. Let me, let me read you the blurb. Diana O'Toole's life is going perfectly to plan. At 29, she's up for promotion to her dream job as an art specialist at Sotheby's and she's about to fly to the Galapagos where she's convinced her surgeon boyfriend, Finn, is going to propose. But when the virus hits New York City and Finn breaks the news the hospital needs him, he has to stay. 
but you should still go, he insists, and reluctantly she agrees. Once she's in the Galapagos, the world shuts down around her, leaving Diana stranded, albeit in paradise, completely isolated with only intermittent news from the outside world. Diana finds herself examining everything that has brought her to this point and wondering if there's a better way to live. But not everything is as it seems. Now, I have long loved the books of Jodie Pico. I really have. She can write. She's an author I trust. Um, and this book I was very intrigued by. I do like reading books about, well, not about the virus, not about COVID, but about what people are going through. Um, I don't want to read a sort of a dystopian book that says, well, if you thought COVID was bad two years later, it gets even worse. Don't want to read that. Thanks very much. Um, don't want to read it if it's like a horror, fantasy, whatever. But if if it's good characters and they're having to deal with all that COVID and lockdown has thrown at them, then I'm in. And I was in for this book. Now, you've got alternating viewpoints. You've got uh, this woman who's in the Galapagos Islands, um, almost in the most fantastic place you could imagine. And then she's exchanging or receiving emails from her boyfriend, not not her fiance, her boyfriend, because he hadn't proposed at that point, Finn. And Finn is working on COVID wards, experiencing all sorts of horrific things that we've all read about. But what I'm interested in is this, the, the two different views, and they sort of dilute each other. So you've got this, what might seem to be this lovely set of circumstances being on this island. Yes, you're stuck, but uh, it's such a beautiful part of the world. Um, not too good to be true at all, but almost that. And then you've got this sharp realisation of Finn's emails and the two do work beautifully together. Um, and then and then the book continues. I won't say any more than that. It's a book where uh, there was no way I was going to let myself feel tired because I had to finish this book. Um, that there was no way I was going to not finish the book and find out what happened. Uh, I thought the book was very comprehensive. OK, if you are triggered by um, the impact of Covid, OK, this isn't a book for you. But otherwise, you know, read it. I think it's I think it's a brave book she's written. I think it's really fresh and different. And it's one of those books where you just your eyes get wide and you do just I just need someone else to read this book immediately so that I can talk to them about it. It's that sort of book. Um, it would be a great for a buddy read. Um, it, it's. Yeah, it's an extraordinary one. I am not going to forget this book. Um, it's one I will reread. It's one that the characters are staying with me. Let, let me read you the first, the first sentence. So chapter one. Um, March 13th, 2020. When I was six years old, I painted a corner of the sky. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to read you the first first paragraph week, guys. That's what that's what we're doing. So I'll start again. When I was six years old, I painted a corner of the sky. My father was working as a conservator, one of a handful restoring the zodiac ceiling on the main hall of Grand Central Terminal. 
an aqua sky strung with shimmering constellations. It was late, way past my bedtime, but my father took me to work because my mother, as usual, was not at home. Oh, I love this book. Wish you were here. Uh, it's 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 one to make you think. It certainly is. Um, I'm not going to say anything more about it. Read read the book if you feel it's something you can cope with. And please, please let me know what you thought. Um, it's, uh, yeah, very, very good. 10 out of 10 from me. Now we come, I'm going to move that one. Sorry, sorry for all the book noises. But with all this stuff now for this microphone, I don't have a lot of space on my desk. Ah, oh dear, never mind. So the next one is a reread and it's the second in the Time Police series. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I've got Jodie Taylor coming on in a few weeks about her third book, Saving Time. So I wanted to reread the first two in the series so that I was fully up to date. And I have loved, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I have loved listening to the audio version of these books. They are beautifully done. Uh, So hard time. Let me read you the blurb for this book. Idiots who want to change history have always proved challenging. But now temporal tourism is on the rise, highly illegal, but highly lucrative if you're prepared to take the risk. To face down this threat, the Time Police will dispatch their toughest undercover agents, which is fine until the unthinkable happens. Replacements are needed fast and who better than three young officers who don't even look the part. Step forward, Jane, Luke and Matthew. They may be about to graduate, but there's still plenty of time for everything to go wrong. Throw in the Versailles time slip, a covert jump to ancient Egypt and a race against time itself. And you got yourself an assignment worthy of Team Weird. Uh, the the writing is funny, crisp, dry. Um, you've got to be willing to accept uh, the the Time Police and, and the Chronicles of St. Mary's, the other series as well, as fact. <laughs> I just love it. I oh, just love it. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, So this is the first sentence. Oh, well, actually, the first sentences are... are, Let's go back to the first one. Um, So Luke's first sentence, I can't believe I'm still in the time, police. Then Jane's first sentence, it's so cold. And then (laughs) Matthew's first sentence, where are they? And then this is chapter one, and this is the first sentence. Marietta Hay, commander of the Time Police, settled herself at her desk, fired up her scratch pad and gazed at her adjutant. I I love this book. This is another great one. Um, And I enjoyed it even more the second time. I enjoyed even more listening to the audio book. It's kept me going on my runs. And you know me. I hate running. And it takes a good audiobook to make me enjoy the runs. And this series is allowing me to run and not check how far I've run every few seconds. Because until I've hit the five miles, I have to keep running. And there are, t- there are times when I check that very frequently. It's a bit like word counts when someone said you have to write a thousand words on something. Oh, my goodness. I'll be counting words from about when I've done about five words. Um, so, yes. This this allows this it's it's entertaining. That's what I'd say. So there we go. Hard Time by Jodie Taylor. 
Now, the next one is continuing the, the mini-series Philippa has about coping with teenagers. And this book is called Blame My Brain, The Amazing Teenage Brain Revealed by Nicola Morgan. Here is the blurb. Scientific research shows what parents have long suspected. <laughs> the teenage brain is special. Find out how in this groundbreaking and reassuring book that involves cutting edge science that won't make your head spin, revealing tests and quizzes, new information on mirror neurons, untidy bedrooms and more. I was in with that. From taking risks to sleeping late, gender differences to depression, uncontrollable emotions to the effects of drug and alcohol, Blame My Brain tells you everything you need to know about the biology and psychology behind the behaviour. Essential reading for teenagers and parents. Uh, I found it quite a short book, uh, easy to read. It's less than 200 pages. It's broken up. There's some sort of good like quizzes and different photographs to look at. Um, it's sort of... Uh, it didn't break new ground for me, but it helped fill in gaps along the way, if that makes sense. Um, so it's one book that could be useful um, if you're just wanting to read more and read around the subject. So, yeah, that that's what I would say. It was an interesting book. Uh, blame my brain. There we go. Now, the last one I've got to talk to you about today. And you've heard me sighing. Listen, John le Carré very sadly died. This is his last book. I wanted to love it. I love the last one he wrote, a Agent in a Field Running, I think it was called. Um, and this is a short one. Let's see, how many pages have we got? Just under 210, so it is short. Here's the blurb. Julian Lawnsley has renounced his high-flying job in the city for a simpler life, running a bookshop in a small English seaside town. But only a couple of months into his new career, Julian's evening is disrupted by a visitor. Edward, a Polish person living in Silverview, the big house on the edge of town, seems to know a lot about Julian's family and is rather too interested in the inner workings of his modest new enterprise. When a letter turns up at the door of a spy chief in London warning him of a dangerous leak, the investigations lead him to this quiet town by the sea. Let me read you the first sentence. Uh, here we go. At ten o'clock of a rain-swept morning in London's West End, a young woman in a baggy anorak, a woollen scarf pulled around her head, strode resolutely into the storm that was roaring down South Audley Street. Um, it had it had elements that I enjoyed. Um, the setting was good. The writing was interesting. Um, but it it didn't grab me. I. I just didn't know when I was getting into the story and when it would start. It's such a shame. It could be my reading. I've got an awful lot to read at the moment. So maybe I'm not as tolerant of books that take a while. So maybe if you like slow builds, this could be something for you. I felt that because it's sort of only 200 pages, it it had to get cracking sooner. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just... I felt sad that this was his last book and this wasn't what I wanted from it. I've enjoyed so many of his. So, yeah, I'm really I feel terrible. But uh, but there we go. It it was not for me. So now we go to the Christmas books and this is just 
giving you the names of the books that I'm planning to read, uh, which I will review uh, probably the episode on the 20th of December uh, when I've got the lovely Lauren from Lauren on the Books coming back on. She was on last Christmas. My goodness, she was popular with you all. Lots of requests to have her back on. So she's coming on. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm just going to tell you which ones. There may be a couple more. There are some that I'm still expecting and haven't received. But here you go. We've got A Snow Garden and Other Stories by Rachel Joyce. Of course, Rachel was on last week. That's a collection of short stories. Then we've got Christmas at Thompson Hall and Other Christmas Stories by Anthony Trollope. You see, you just had to say Christmas and Anthony Trollope and I was in. Uh, it's got the most beautiful cover as well. I'm really looking forward to reading that. Then we've got The Christmas Carols, uh, a fantastically festive family by Mel Taylor Besant. Um, I believe this is a, a story about a family. It's mid-grade book um, that just love Christmas so much. They sort of celebrate Christmas all year. And it's quite hard to be that person or someone from that family when you're uh, I think, settling into a new school. It's something like that. But the idea that people love Christmas so much, again, I'm in. Um, then I love the author Juno Dawson and everything that they do. And this book, A Stay Another Day, Four Sleeps Till Christmas, Three Siblings, One Big Secret, sounded great to me. And I like the fact I haven't seen many YA books about Christmas. I think this, is, this has got some issues that are revealed so that it might be triggering from some people I don't I don't know um but uh, I think Juno can write so well I'm very keen to read that one then we've got Always in December by Emily Stone um and this is more of a sort of a tearjerkery one well it won't take much to get me crying at the moment. So, yes, I'm in for that. I'd love a good cry. I do find it very cathartic to have a good cry. Um, so, yes, there we are. Now, the next one is one I, ha I had certainly had it last Christmas and didn't get around to reading it. Maybe the Christmas before. Uh, so I need to get on with this. And I did like the premise. It's about how. Um, well, OK, let me tell you the name. One Christmas Night by Hayley Webster. And it's about how presents have been going missing from uh, homes in in a neighbourhood and they're all wondering who's been stealing them and and then does Christmas sort of bake, bake, make or break that. That's that's the whole premise of that one Christmas night by Hayley Webb. And then the final one is a uh, Matt Haig, funnily enough. Um, I got given the proof of this very kindly. Thank you very much. It's called A Mouse Called Mika. Uh, and I'm hoping to get to read this. Um, he's written various ones. The Truth Pixie is a lovely series. The Father Christmas one's lovely. So, yeah, this should be nice. It's got lots of lovely illustrations. It's about 180 pages. Again, mid-grade. Um, yeah, I'm, I believe it's mid-grade. Do not get it for a child of that age without checking. <laughs> don't take don't take my word for it um but of course there's the midnight in everwood book as well that's a, a a christmas one a light christmas one i i would say um so we've got rachel joyce a snow garden anthony trollope christmas at thompson hall the christmas carols by mel taylor percent stay another day juno dawson always in december emily stone one Christmas Night, if I get chance to read it, by Hayley Webster. And A Mouse Called Mika by Matt Haig, again, if I get chance to read it. I've just been recommended another book, The Little Christmas Bookshop or something, as an audio book. Someone was saying yesterday, I have to listen to that. Uh, it it's a, comes down to time, doesn't it? That's the problem. 
But we'll see. Maybe I'll get time. Who knows? Anyway, I'm going to let you get off for your day. Uh, Wow, I've got a great author next week. Can't wait to talk to you about that. I'll have sorted out my microphone problems and all is well. So look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. 